0: All right. Welcome back, everybody. It's 2021. It's Terry Doherty from WP Radio. I'm excited. I'm excited about a new year. I'm excited about getting outside after this lockdown. And uh, I'm excited about this podcast. I'm really grateful, guys, that uh, Randy and our conference engineering has signed on for another year. And uh, I'm really looking forward to doing this podcast every month with them. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. And without further ado, please enjoy the first episode of Guess What I Learned Today, presented by... Arcon Forensic Engineering. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome to WP Radio. It's a new season. I'm really excited. It's Terry. I'm from um, WP Radio here, and I've got our special guest on today, Randy from Archon Engineering. Uh, Randy, for those people that really don't know anything about Archon or what you guys do, maybe you can give me a little insight or give us a little insight to what you do and what Archon
1: does. Certainly, Terry. Thanks very much for uh, the opportunity to be here today. Uh, ARCON is a multidisciplinary forensic engineering firm that has been serving the Canadian property and casualty market for 55 years now. Uh, Forensic engineering is all we do. All of our practice areas, electrical, mechanical, fire investigation, civil and structural, have multiple staff and offer a range of experience amongst those staff. We also offer environmental testing services through our service partners. Uh, my role at Arcon is threefold. I look after our marketing requirements, along with undertaking business development and coordinating client management initiatives.
0: Uh, so, Randy, that's really the purpose of today's podcast. We're going to be talking about how insurers helping control their claim costs, specifically those associated with engineering fees. And uh, so, what prompted you to feel that this is an issue, and why it would be interest to insurers?
1: Well, there's two things, really. The first relates to insurers that have formal service contracts. When we receive bid documents regarding a request for pricing, there's always a reference in the preamble that the, insurance, the insurer is looking to reduce costs and thus is looking for the best possible rates. Uh, this leads me to believe that insurers are consciously looking at their claims costs as well as the level of service. The second trend that we see is examiners and often legal services providers asking what our rates are. This implies that their decision will be substantially based on an hourly rate rather than the final cost to perform the service or the experience of the engineer.
0: Okay, so what's wrong with the focus on like the hourly rate? So why do you think that's the wrong focus?
1: It's not necessarily the the wrong focus, but I think there's a a better focus. And there's a number of issues that arise from, from this focus. When it comes to professional services in general, there's a range of experience related to the range of hourly rates. Those with more experience or more specific experience typically charge more per hour. If the work requires a certain level of experience, it's best to hire for the right experience or else the quality of work suffers, and this can lead to much larger indirect costs on the claim. Uh, The second point is it doesn't directly lead to any control over quality, as the service provider might use their cheapest resource to handle the assignment. It also doesn't lead to control over overall costs, as the service provider might bill more hours either intentionally or because of a lack of specific experience, which leads to a longer time getting things done, or they may do a cursory job because there are other clients willing to pay more per hour. And while these relationships are meant to be partnerships, this leads service providers to want to bill every minute that is spent on the assignment. We have clients that use our experience to triage a claim and get some basic advice on how to proceed or not. For example, do they need to get more information to make our work more successful, or do they even need to engage the services of a forensic engineer? And finally, there's really no alignment between the nature or size of the loss and the experience and skill set of the service provider when you take the uh, the approach of focusing on hourly rates. So
0: if hourly rate's not the better way, in your opinion, what do you think is the better way? Is there is there something that you think is overall like a better way to look at this for controlling
1: costs? I think our perspective is that Budgets, if you have budgets uh, related to the work and a well-defined scope of work, including timelines and reporting formats, that's the best way to control costs. These two things, budgets and scope of work, go hand in hand. Um, They enable flexibility for the service provider to use resources most efficiently based on the situation and technical requirements. Some assignments can make do with a junior resource, others need a senior resource, and some lend themselves to a hybrid scenario where the junior's doing a lot of the legwork and the senior uh, resource is um, overseeing the work. Some need a, a resource on-site within hours. Uh, other assignments can be addressed in a few days. In certain cases, an email update is all that's needed for the file, while other times uh, a full, re- full formal report for litigation purposes is, uh, is asked for. Um, another point is that the adjuster or examiner is in the best position to know what the size and initial nature of the loss is and thus how much they can spend on initial engineering assignments and investigation. So they they are in the best position to know how much is acceptable based on the size and and type of loss. It also allows for a progressive investment based on findings as you go. For example, you can quote a budget and have a scope of work for an initial on-site assessment. If a joint inspection is required or further lab work and research, those can all be budgeted separately uh, along with different scopes of work or or, um, timelines.
0: Well, really though, aren't professionals and legal staff already
1: doing this already? Well, some do. They tend to be the more tenured professionals that have seen the value in this approach or perhaps had an experience which then led them to take this approach.
0: Well, I'm sure there's incidents where this doesn't work as well then.
1: Oh, most certainly. The approach will need to be modified in certain circumstances, such as sometimes you only get one opportunity to do the investigation, i.e. something is being scrapped, needs to be demolished, weather is an issue. In these cases, that needs to factor into the budget and scope of work. Uh, There are cases where the expression, you don't know what you're into until you're into it, applies. Uh, By this I mean the engineer might see something that could lead to a subrogation situation and thus needs to have other parties join in a joint investigation before proceeding further. Uh, In other cases, the initial scope and thus the budget is based on information provided by the assured to the claims advisor and the actual situation is dramatically different on the ground. In these cases, communication is the key to making sure the scope of work and budgets are updated accordingly.
0: So what else should claims people or claims adjusters keep in mind when thinking about their scopes and their budgets?
1: Well, if the scope of work is too all-encompassing, the, the budget will reflect that. So if an advisor, claims advisor, asks an engineer to go out to site and tell me what you found, that's pretty broad. The the, the budget and thus the, uh, the ultimate bill is going to be uh, probably a bit of a surprise. Um, I think Claims advisors also need to understand why they're engaging the resource. So what are they hoping to get out of the investment? In those cases, ask the engineer what the likely outcomes might be. You may decide to take a a different approach, uh, delay the assessment or the investigation, or or not do it at all. You can ask if there's any other information that the engineer might need to be able to do a better or quicker investigation. If the engineer has to do all the research and contact multiple parties, uh, they're basically getting into work which doesn't require an engineer at that point. That's, um, you know, adjusting to a certain extent. Uh, And also professional services providers, so lawyers, accountants, and engineers, they all bill by the hour. So this relates to my previous point, in in terms of using them for their skill set, not to manage a claim file, not to be organizing joint inspections. Uh, They're there for a specific purpose and and you'll get more utility, more value out of the relationship if you use them specifically for that purpose.
0: Yeah, so, and I guess that's, I mean, you know, we should probably talk about when bills come in and are the costs are going to be unexpectedly higher than you originally thought. So what, what are the causes for that? I, I think you've touched on it a little bit, but maybe you can talk about a bit that a little bit more.
1: So for example, uh, our civil and structural engineers will go out to a site. Uh, the scope of work is not very specific, just go on out and uh, you know, take measurements and uh, g- give me an email or, or a call when you get back. Uh, we come back and ultimately there's some structural damage which requires repair. So we need to go back out, do some more investigation, assessment, maybe some more measurements. We come back again, uh, at which point we start doing uh, the drawings for the repair and then find out that uh, they only want drawings for scope. And so they're just going to be paying the the client out. They don't actually need the repair. So in all these cases, the the engineers are going on what they think needs to be done. but they shouldn't really be going on what they think needs to be done. It's best to direct that resource. Um, l- related to that is uh, requesting reconstruction drawings for permit purposes when all that is required are drawings for scoping the cost. And the reverse is also true. You don't wanna have uh, a drafts person doing things uh, beyond what is required for the job. Uh, also, in structural reconstruction scenarios, if a final inspection is required or if the builder needs support through the, throughout the reconstruction project, uh, those will be added costs. The the actual um, work of advising if the, the reconstruction people find something different on site and need some changes to the drawings, those often happen, and those are an additional cost. Uh, joint inspections involving multiple parties where the engineer is coordinating the inspection. So... If they're trying to get uh, in touch with a number of other different lawyers and engineers for a, a joint laboratory, um, destructive testing of something, the, hourly, the, the hours on the file certainly uh, can increase pretty fast. Um, if a site is not safe due to environmental or structural dangers and we have to go back again. Um, advisors asking for a full report where an email summary of findings would suffice. And then there's always add-ons to the scope of work without a revised budget. So the engineer will come back with their initial assessment. The advisor or the lawyer will ask for further work. Um, That's not necessarily confirmed by email. It's not... uh, reflected in a revised budget. And so when the final bill comes, it looks like it's excessive compared to the original budget, but the, the work was necessary and was uh, was asked for. So then you have to get into digging out the emails and, and establishing that uh, indeed there was a, a, a chain of communication there to to validate the work.
0: Yeah, and I do agree with you, Randy, because I know that I've heard, you know, um, Somebody saying, hey, listen, this budget's completely out of whack, and then I'll be talking to them just kind of trying to understand, like, why is it so high? Like, what went wrong? And just because, you know, I, I'm doing some mentoring or helping an adjuster or something with regards to that stuff, and I say, well, what was the scope of work you gave them? And you look at it, and you're like, it's so vague. You're like, oh, okay, so they're actually examining the file on your behalf now. I mean... That's not an engineer's job, is to do your adjusting job. The engineer's job is, you know, I'd agree with you, It's to go out, it's to do the, th- you know, the things that set things that they're, you know, within their bailiwick, for lack of a better words, and then really just provide a report, whether it's a summary report or just even a conversation. I like, I know when I hire an engineer, I'll, I'll work on the budget and the scope with them, and then I'll say to them, listen, when you're done at the site, give me a call, we'll talk about it, and we can discuss whether I need a report or I need a summary or whatever I need, right?
1: Oh, well, for sure. And, and once again, you have to understand why you're using the resource and, and understand that uh, they're a billable resource and, and that bill is, is by the hour. So one of the things when, when an assignment comes in and I'm speaking to the claims person directly, I'll ask a, a few Questions such as what exactly do you want the engineer to do? How soon do you need the engineer to cite? Because who's available if, if they have to get out there within an hour or two hours? You may not get a junior to do a junior work, it might be an intermediate just simply because of the requirements, the, the time requirements, and the fact that you want somebody out there. Um, you know, I'll also ask, you know, do you just need an email summary? Do you need them to, uh, uh, to give you something in writing? What a phone call? How, and how do you want to be communicated with? And then finally, um, I'll ask them if they have a budget. What is their budget? Because we want to understand right up front, we want to set expectations. So if the budget is, is 2,000, but the, the work as is described may be 3,000, we need to cross that bridge right up front and establish what can be done. Uh, we can make suggestions, well, here's what can be done for $2,000 or uh, establish what the value of doing the full um, inspection and assessment is that, so it's worth, worth the extra $1,000 investment because it's gonna save time and money uh, later on down the road.
0: Yeah, I think the early on discussion, like you said, is real important because there's a difference between needs and wants. I want Sometimes they want things, but they're not really a need or their wants and needs don't align um, with regards to the budget. So they want something, they need something, they might be the same thing, but they haven't put that together as far as the budget. So really at the end of the day, I think keeping in mind, you know, budgeted costs rather than hourly rates, keeping all parties on the same page, getting things done on a timeline, your budget in and in your scope, you know, I think a good summary basically is hoping that everybody achieve achieved that same approach, you'd agree?
1: Yes, and, and once again, we, we don't often know who specifically we're dealing with. We don't know their expertise. We don't know if it's a multi million dollar loss, is it a $20,000 loss. Uh, so, you know, we we don't know the, the scenario of the claim. If we do know, and, and once again, sometimes we do ask, uh, because if, if it's a $20,000 claim, you may not want to be spending... $2,000 on a, an engineering assessment unless there's uh, something behind the scenes that we don't know about. But essentially, uh, we don't know what we don't know. Similar to, like I said, we, we don't know what we're into until we're into it when we get on site. Um, same thing, we, we don't know what the advisor adjuster's level of experience is, and, and thus what they may or may not know um, in terms of working with an engineer. So that's part of this, uh, this series of podcasts that we'll be doing throughout the year is, is trying to educate advisors, uh, lawyers, whoever deals with engineers, whoever has responsibility for, for hiring or retaining an engineer to, to use that resource most efficiently and, uh, and effectively. At the end of the day, we, we all want good value for the insureds and we want the insured to have a positive claims experience.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about this series coming up. So, just so everyone's aware, I'm going to be speaking with uh, either Randy or somebody from Archon um, throughout the entire year. We're going to put on a podcast with Archon every month. So, guys, set your uh, set your podcast ticker or whatever you're going to do. Um, just, I'm I'm looking forward to finding out and kind of digging deep in with Archon and what they do and all the different benefits to having an engineer on site and having the right engineer on site. So we're going to talk to different engineers this year and, uh, and helping you understand about getting the right engineer in play early on and the benefits to doing that. So I'm really looking forward to talking with you, Randy, and with talking with the people at Archon. So, um, you know, where's people going to be able to reach you and reach our con? What's the best numbers and contact for you guys?
1: Well, to reach me anytime, just, uh, they can send me an email, Randy, R-A-N-D-Y dot Henderson. That's H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N at our con forensics.com. And that's A-R-C-O-N F-O-R-E-N-S-I-C-S.com. Uh, my cell is four one six two seven five zero nine nine three. Either way, I'm Pretty much available whenever you need me, and uh and looking forward to hearing from people.
0: Yeah, that's great, Randy. Um, that's funny that you gave out your cell number, because people are going to reach you. I know they're going to contact you by cell or by, by email. And remember, guys, it's Archon Forensics, with an S on the end. Um, and that's great. So it's Henderson at archonforensics.com. Put that into your phone. Save it. Save it right up at the top. It will, because it's Archon. Uh, right with the A's, so that's amazing. Um, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. So thanks again for being on the podcast today and uh, sharing your knowledge about keeping these, uh, controlling the engineering costs and just the budgets in general. I mean, I think people sometimes get excited when they're having an engineer first time or whatever and they don't think about these costs and then they're surprised when a bill comes in, right?
1: For sure, and and we never want a bill... More than what somebody's expecting, we we don't um, we don't like surprises. We don't like other people to be surprised by by something they get, uh, and at the end of the day, it, it just creates more work for everyone. So, you know, engineers like being engineers. They like doing the engineering work, um, and claims advisors are just trying to to get those claims resolved as quickly and amicably as as, uh, as possible. So, uh, these suggestions today hopefully will will help with that outcome and everybody's happy the the invoices uh, uh, are what they should be and uh, we get paid and uh, the claim gets resolved and and then we move on
0: yeah and and it's funny and just i know we're ending but i just want to say it's funny i sometimes when i talk to your guys the engineers they don't even ever think about the bill they just think about the job and doing the right work uh, I mean, that the billing is secondary, I find, with most really good engineers. It's not—it's never on their mind as far as like, oh, did I overbill like an hour or am I underbilled an hour? That's why I really like working with budgets and working with the engineers in that kind of facet. And it was you that actually got me interested in doing it that way because I used to ask what hourly rates were. <laughs> and I don't do that anymore. I say, okay, let's set a budget, let's set a scope so we're both going to be satisfied at the end. And I think that really is the better way.
1: I think so, too. It protects everyone. That way, you know, the, the engineering firm, Arcon in this case, uh, knows what we have to abide by, and, and also, conversely, it protects us because the, the advisor won't be surprised if they've given us a budget and we bill according to that budget. They shouldn't be surprised. So like I say, at the end of the day, hopefully it protects all the parties in the transaction.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Thank you again for being on, and I look forward to speaking with you next month on a new topic. Great.
1: Thank you, Terry. All right.